If you brought a Bible and want to turn there, Daniel chapter 2 is where we'll be, but we'll also be throwing all the scripture up on the screen in rapid fire fashion, so maybe the best thing to do is uh, take notes and look at the screen today. I'm going to begin with a question that could serve as a backdrop of the second chapter of Daniel, and here's the question, who do you want to be like? Who do you want to most be like? As you get older, I can tell you that we move away from the glittering things. Uh, We move away from what someone drives or what they have or where they live or who they know. And we move more into character. We move move into more of who a person is. We move more into the choices that they make because choices in life are a massive part of your future, of your destiny. Uh, integrity, I want to describe it this way because we see it in the life of this young teenager. We see him walk in integrity throughout his life. You remember I mentioned last week that 80% of the characters in the Bible don't finish well. They just don't finish well. It's easy. When I was, um, uh, it's easy to think otherwise, but it's just 20% of people finish well. Daniel is one of those who stayed, he stayed faithful. Um, Integrity could be looked at this way. It's doing what you ought to do when it costs you. A lot of decisions you make could be reciprocal. You are nice to somebody and then something good happens or you, know, you make a choice, you make a decision and good things come. It was kind of easy for you to do. But there are some decisions that come along, some big ones in life where you make a decision, a choice, and you, you do what you ought to do even despite the fact that it cost you. I'd love for you to frame this verse in your mind and heart today and following. The integrity of the upright will guide them. The integrity of the upright will guide them. When you are faced with choices and you do what you ought to do, even though it costs you, that integrity, uh, it will guide you. When I was in seminary, we had an old guy, he was getting old and ornery and he, Dr. John Hannon, he leaned out to us and he said, you know, if you're going to make it, you're going to need to walk in integrity. He said, some of you aren't going to make it to your 40s and your 50s, but if you do make it to your 40s and 50s in ministry, that is, he goes, you need to do two things. Don't quit and don't fornicate. And you look at the scripture and you see a lot of people. You look at the world around us and you see a lot of us that just don't walk in faithfulness. But let me say to you, the gift of integrity could be the great gift that you give to other people. Because when you see it shattered... Uh, You see the pain, tons of collateral damage. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but there's a B part to Proverbs 11.3. I'd like you to learn that one as well. But the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. You see, Daniel, we'll see in a moment, he made up his mind ahead of time. He made up his mind ahead of time. He didn't make up his mind one decision at a time. He didn't make up his mind one day at a time. The world needs less leaders who wake up and go, okay, what do I do today? What am I going to do today? What, what person am I going to be today? Let me, let me lick my index finger and put it up against the wind and see what's happening. Uh, we need more leaders who will say, hey, I'm going to make up my mind ahead of time. I'm going to predetermine in my heart. So let's back up a little bit before chapter two and look at what we've looked at in uh, chapter one. The king ordered uh, Espinaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. Now, Who's the king? This is King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the Babylonian Empire. Last week I put a map up. I don't have it today, but uh, let me try to figure out. Okay, from y'all's perspective, here's the Babylonian kingdom. And then down here, over here, some uh, 900 miles away is Egypt. And the Egyptians had been running the world. They were, um, 
They were number one in the world. They had the, the big bad empire. There was a remnant of the Assyrian empire still left during the Egyptian empire, but the Egyptians were the dominant empire. The Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar uh, were taken over. They go in this incredible battle and they uh, fight the Egyptians and the remnants of the Assyrians and they, uh, they are brutal and they win and they win big. And Nebuchadnezzar, who's mentioned in uh, the, the uh, author Robert Greene, not not me, but Robert Greene with an E on the end, Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power, he mentions the brilliance of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, he was morally bankrupt. He was a rep retro reprobate. He was very, very evil. He was bloodthirsty, but he would collect things. He got the articles of the temple. He got things from the house there in Israel because he didn't just take the Egyptians. Remember that Judah, the southern part of Israel, is in between uh, Egypt and where Babylon is. And so he takes Jerusalem. Do you remember last week he besieged the city? So no people in, no people out, no food in, no, no food out. He controls uh, Jerusalem and he starts collecting things, including people. He collects kings. You're talking about brutal. He collected kings. He would blind them. He would emasculate them and he would display kings at his parties. You may collect something like coins or baseball cards or vintage wine or what, you know, sports memorabilia. But Nebuchadnezzar collected kings. And he would say, hey, remember this man? Remember how great he was? Remember this one? Remember this one? They're all, they all work for me. I captured them. He brought things back to uh, Babylon. Verse 4, young men without any, he said, we're looking for these type of men. This reminds me of me when I was younger. Without any physical defect, good looking, suitable for instruction, and all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, remember these words, and capable of serving in the king's palace. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. Yes, he kidnapped them. He captured them. He carted them off some 700 miles from, uh, from Jerusalem to Babylon, but they're in the best dorm on campus. They're getting the best food. Uh, they, were they were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to attend to the king. You'll remember last week I said that he wasn't just training them, like our education, to learn about the Babylonians. He was actually training them and educating them to become Babylonians. He gave them new names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you remember those were different names. Daniel uh, kept his, but he gave them new names. If you name something, you own something. You ever, uh, do you have a pet? Do you ever rescue a pet, which is the way to go? You rescue a pet and you give them a new name, which has got to be weird for the animal, right? Like there's a dog in a shelter, his name is like Harold. And you go get him and you bring him home and you give him a whole new name. And that's got to be kind of weird, but you're basically saying, hey, I own you, you're mine, I named you. And that's what's happening here. So real sense of ownership. But Daniel and his cronies have an opportunity to eat the best dorm food. They're right outside the palace. And so they have an opportunity to eat like the king, lots of red meat and wine and such. But Daniel determined, he made up his mind ahead of time. He set his heart, determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. Daniel could have freaked out. Daniel could have blended in and gone alone. But Daniel said, I don't want to defile my God. Now, why is this a big deal? This is culturally um, hard for us to grasp. And so let me do my best without nerding out. Let me do my best to explain why this is a thing and why Daniel is to be lauded uh, for this. There was, this was a time in world history in a place where food scarcity was a thing, food security. I just spent 10 days in Africa in the mountains of Lesotho with Reclaim Project. When you're up there in the villages and Reclaim Project's care centers, you'll see that there, uh, food scarcity, food security is a big thing. 
And so we give money. We support a ministry that does good work on the ground there and other places for, because of food security. And so these people, they were, if you weren't at the king and at the king's palace, you were uh, one bad thing from starving to death. A war, famine, pestilence, any of these type of things, and you're, you're sunk. The, the supply, similar to a besiege, a city besiege, it's cut off. So food was a big deal. But food's a big deal for us too, right? You already know where you're going for lunch. You got me on the clock. You're going to stop paying attention in a few minutes, already thinking about what you're going to eat. And some of you are going to go eat. You know what you're going to do because you went to church today on fall break. You're going to come and you're going to pray over your food. And I bet you're going to say, God, some of whoever prays out loud, fill in the blank with me. Thank you for this food. Bless this food to the... Good. Yeah. Bless this food to the nourishment of our body. So it's in our culture, but I think everybody in the room right now is fat and happy and we, we're, nobody's worried about their food uh, anytime soon. Okay. So it's, it's in our culture, but it was really in their culture. And so if you read through Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus and places, you got to get past a lot of funny names and civil ceremonial uh, rituals and such, but you'll see a real sense that God is a provider. In fact, if you're blessed today and you got a full bank account and your house is nice and you know, you're feeding a bunch of uh, people, uh, Deuteronomy 8 would say, hey, the Lord has blessed you. That wealth that you possess, look at me, it's come from his hand. And so do not forget that is the Lord that, that allowed this, is the Lord that caused that. So we need to be super grateful. But so, so for us, it's this, it's God, for them, I'm sorry, for, it's God, the God who provided the food. Thank you, God, for this food. Bless it to the nourishment of our bodies. Give us health. And this will lead to prosperity. So the goodness of God in ancient times was seen this way. And so Daniel shows up in Babylon and here's the God. We hear much more about Nebuchadnezzar and the chief eunuchs and the satraps and people like that. But here's Marduk and he's the God. If you study Marduk, you'll see that he was a God of appetite, the God of agriculture. This is a false God. It was a polytheistic world. These were primitive people who said, oh, you know, there's this God and this God, the God of this and the God of that, the God of fertility, the God of love, the God of, you know, that provides this and let's appease the gods. Let's do this so the gods won't be mad at us. Let's curry their favor and not incur their wrath. And so Daniel is saying, I don't want my life to be a testimony to a false god. I don't want my life to be, I, I want my life to, even though I'm in a different culture, even though as a teenage boy, he began to discover he's a part of two kingdoms. And those two kingdoms, what? He's a citizen with God and he's a citizen now of Babylon. A young boy stripped away. 700 miles. Some of y'all worried about your college freshman going two states over for college. I'm not trying to uh, be mean, but like this is a much bigger deal than that. And he's ripped from his family. He's got his bros. He's got his friends, but he's taken into this uh, hostile environment. And Daniel says, I don't want, he made up his mind ahead of time. He predetermined, he was resolute to be true to his God. I shared this with you last week, and um, I think the first service I gave two case studies. But if you're living, in, if you're a Christian, you're living in two kingdoms. Do you ever feel like Christian that you're, um, you're you don't belong in this world? Do you ever feel like the values of this world clash with what you want to hold dear, what you do hold dear, and what you want to live out? I do. Do you? It, you're involved in two kingdoms: the the kingdom of God. You're a citizen of that kingdom, and you're a citizen of Babylon. Now, it's fun. I love it when you stay awake, and I love it when y'all fact-check me, especially when I'm wrong, which is so rare. 
But last week I mentioned that uh, this, the Babylon is referenced from Old Testament to New Testament some 260, almost 270 times. And then someone uh, emailed me and said, actually, Robert, it's 280 times. So I stand corrected on that. But Babylon, yes, it was a city. Yes, it was an empire. But uh, it, it came and gone. We'll look at that in a minute. Daniel's going to drop this dream, the interpretation of the dream from King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's going to remind this powerful man that kingdoms come and go. And he says, but hey, there's a God in heaven and a God who has a kingdom, a God that we need to live for. So Daniel predetermined in his heart. He said, um, I want to make sure that my life is a testimony to God's kingdom. I want to live for that kingdom, even in the middle of Babylon. The spirit of Babylon I mentioned is a metaphor, not just a city, not just an empire that came and, got, came and went, but it's a metaphor for sin, pride, and rebellion. When the Bible uses it, it's a metaphor for sin, pride, and rebellion. You and I live, we're surrounded by a spirit of Babylon. I asked you last week in the sermon, and there's tons of people here, and not, you know, a sermon is not really a time for dialogue, but I asked the men in my small group on Friday mornings, I said, hey, do you think we are, uh, the goal for the Christian today is to take back our nation for God, or are we to live in a godly way in the midst of godlessness in our world today? And the answer, answers can be interesting, but I just want to say, um, you know, from 1968, I was born two years before that, but I guess since I've come into the world in America, it's changed. And we're not living in Jerusalem anymore, if you will. We're living in Babylon. We're living in a very secular society uh, in America. So we can fight that and resist that and seek by imposition to impose the Christian faith on other people. Or we can live winsomely, attractively, understanding that the culture has passed us by. And so we're living, what should be called to live in a godly way amidst a lot that's against God. The spirit of Babylon is against God. So Daniel says, I want to live with integrity. So the chief eunuch, one of the guys under the guy, under the guy, under the guy, under the king said, uh, I fear my Lord, the king who assigns you your food and drink. What if he sees your faces looking thinner than the other young men your age? You would endanger my life with the king. Daniel had requested that he not defile himself. So specifically he said, how about this diet plan that will become a best-selling book in America in the 2000s? And we'll call it the Daniel plan. And I will for 10 days as an experiment, a little test drive, I will, we will only drink water and eat vegetables. So Fonder Church, I'm calling you starting today. No, uh, Daniel said, hey, we're going we're gonna to do this diet. And this guy knew, he's like, you know, if you want to risk your faith, your life for your faith and being obedient, living with integrity, you can do that, but don't risk my life. And Daniel's like, hold on, give us a shot. And let me just say this. This could be weird, but I'm going to say it. It could be fraught with misunderstanding, but I'm going to say it. When you make a decision, when you make up your mind ahead of time, and you are living with integrity, you're opening the door for all kind of influence God can give you. And you're opening yourself up, not for a problem-free life, oh my gosh, look at Daniel, but you're opening yourself up for God's favor and his hand to be on you and to work and to give you influence. And I'm telling you, you get momentum when you're living by faith and making wise decisions, man, doors open and you sense that God, even in the midst of some difficulties, is gonna provide. What's happening next? I don't know, but God can provide. And Daniel's like, you know, I'm hoping that God will show up. And I hope you're living a life of faith, by the way, where God has to show up. So Daniel says, let's see what happens. And I love, love this, by the way. I, I remember I went red fishing with some friends. And uh, we, uh, guys that come to our church, Drew, you did it recently. But some of the guys, you know, we went red fishing and we were just eating way too much. I mean, not just, the, it was just eating and just, it was terrible. And on our way back, one of the guys said, uh, Tyler Hendricks said, let's stop by 
uh, Cafe du Monde and get, uh, you know, in New Orleans and get beignets. And like, and I remember one of the guys out loud said, as we were eating beignets, he's like, man, I could feel my face getting fatter. You ever do that? You ever just eat and so like you can feel your face getting fatter? And I think uh, doctors, nutritionists know that, you know, your face, when you lose weight, it's one of the first places. When you gain weight, it's one of the first places. Y'all know about this. Anyway, so Daniel's like, hey, we, want, we don't want the, the king to come by and inspect us, and then we're looking weak and malnourished because he's got plans for us. You with me? And then next, the king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel. Oh, my goodness. God went before them, y'all. You know God will provide. He'll defy science. So they began to attend to the king. And we see here, we see integrity. Now, this may look like a simple statement of fact only. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus, but this is mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing because King Nebuchadnezzar came and went. Um, Darius, King Darius came and went. Cyrus comes along. This is y'all 70 years. This is 70 years. This is Daniel being 50, 13, 14, 15 years old to, to being an old man. And he walked in integrity and God provided. And here's the thing. You talk about influence because I want this for you. I want you to walk in integrity. I want it for my kids. I want it for my church. I want it for you. I want it for me. To, and I'm, in the, I'm not in the marketplace. So you guys are in the marketplace. So your influence can be greater and much different than mine. But to, God will open doors. And, and Daniel was kidnapped and carted off and indoctrinated into the spirit of Babylon. But he has the ear of the three most important people of the world over 70 years. And I do believe that if you walk with God and you're committed to him, that God will increase your influence in life. Later, we're, we're going to get there in a few weeks, chapter 6, Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps uh, because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. Verse 4 when they go looking for skeletons in your closet, consider this. The administrators and satraps therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could not find no charge or corruption for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. There were no skeletons in the closet. That's a common phrase for us. Back then in Babylon, there were actual skeletons in the closet. But Daniel, they looked him over and they couldn't find anything. Now we have... There's something about us. We have this tendency to go, well, nobody's perfect. Man, ain't, ain't nobody perfect. And what that does is, I think if we're not careful, it leads us to shoddy thinking and poor living. Man, nobody's perfect. Well, you're not going to be perfect. And the guy preaching is not perfect. But I do think we're called to live in such a way when people look at us, they really won't be able to find really any charge, no corruption and that negligence. And they'll find us to be trustworthy. To be trustworthy means simply you are worthy of people's trust. Because your yes is yes, and your no is no, and you do what you say. And it's remarkable that Daniel had that. Can I say to you to fight for integrity, to live with integrity? Psalm 51, Lord, you desire truth in the innermost parts. Oh, I can project this. I can hide this. I can make them think this. But you desire truth in the inner part. And God, the great physician, is the surgeon. He knows what's happening in our hearts. And I want to say, if you're hiding a skeleton in your closet. Confess that sin and bring it out. Tell your story so that you don't live in fear of somebody finding out and telling your story for you. And go ahead and bring it on the table and begin today walking in integrity. 
That doesn't mean you need to air your dirty laundry on the church clothesline and tell everybody everything you've ever done. But it means if you've got something there that hasn't been brought out for healing, bring that out and let the appropriate people know. Let some trusted guides know about you. Tell the people in your life that are called to trust you and then walk in that integrity. And that's what we see in Daniel. And some, some of you that are like my age are beat up. You're like, well, I did this and this. I got this skeleton. I'm hiding this. I did this. And you think you're giving up on a life of integrity. It's not too late. You can walk in integrity. You really can. Confession, what is, is bad for the reputation but good for the soul? So you have to walk through a season. But listen, I have never in my ministry days ever had a brother in Christ confess a sin where I thought less of him. When he confesses it, and when he brings it out into the light, that's, that provokes love for me. And I've been on both ends of that. And I'm telling you, if you're a leader and leading in your organization, you're keeping a secret. Smart people around you sniff it and they smell it. So just a little addendum there. Uh, let's skip that because I did that. This is the verse. I want you to lock in. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Um, back real quick. Daniel like you today, is surrounded by the spirit of Babylon. There's a world that has plans to influence Daniel. There's a world around you that has plans to influence you, and that world is influencing you. Would you agree with that? Like, the, you're being discipled. You, you tune in, you open up your phone. We spend 8 to 10 to 12 hours on that device. That's the thing that, I mean, church is hard today. It's hard to be a pastor because that device is discipling you. And it's squeezing you into its mold. And it's saying, think like this and do this. And it's influencing you. The spirit of Babylon is provoking your sin and your pride and your rebellion and saying, this is the kingdom and it's your kingdom. And buy this and try this and travel here. And I, we will help you develop your kingdom. And that is surrounding you, and it's surrounding me. It surrounded Daniel. But you know what? The spirit of Babylon surrounded Daniel, but the spirit of God filled Daniel. Oh, Daniel was, um, let me change the order. Daniel was surrounded by the spirit of Babylon, but he was filled with the spirit of God. And John would put it like this. Who needs to hear it? You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I love John's language. Y'all, sometimes you look past stuff when you're in a hurry. He calls them little children, and then he says, you've conquered. <laughs> I just love the juxtaposition. You're just, you're sheep. You're little children. If you ever get too fancy, man, the kingdom of heaon is not for you. Um, we, we're, we're, what, a couple of months from Christmas. Don't lose the magic of Christmas. Don't, don't become an adult at Christmas. Have the joy and have the wonder and be little children and show up at Christmas Eve services at 3.30 and 5 o'clock and be fired up to light your candle and take communion and sing along because there's a Savior. There's good news of great joy for all the world. Little children, you have conquered. Why? Because you're great? Because your kingdom is so fancy? Not at all. Not at all. It's because you're living for the right kingdom and the spirit of that king lives within you. So part one, real quick, there are four parts and I'm going to fly. Part one is the dream. Ready? A lot of Bible. Here we go. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams that troubled him and sleep deserted him. So the king gave orders to summon the magicians, mediums, sorcerers, and Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. Can you believe back then at such a primitive society, they believed in like astrology and the stars and the cosmos being lined? Aren't you glad we've advanced so far that we don't even believe this superstitious stuff? Like we're so educated and everything. We're tuned in to uh, the correct epistemological knowledge of the world and what we need. Um, Continuing on, when they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream and, and, and I'm anxious to understand it. He's afraid of his future. Can I quickly say, the more life is about controlling it, 
And the more power you're interested in preserving, the more you're going to fear the future. The Chaldeans spoke to the king, may the king live forever. But isn't it funny they all say that and no king ever lives forever? May the king live forever. Be careful if someone's blowing smoke your way. Like, you're awesome, you're great. You know, not really. May, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, my word is final. Parents, use that later. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a garbage dump. That's a serious threat that King Nebuchadnezzar would back up. Like that's, you know, that's real stuff there. The Chaldeans answered the king, no one on earth can make known what the king requests. Consequently, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked anything like this or of any magician, medium, or Chaldean. What the king is asking is so difficult that, can, you, can y'all smell Daniel from a distance? Can you smell this young man with the sovereign hand of God over his life? No one can make it known to him except the gods whose dwelling is not with mortals. By the way, if you have gods that aren't God, they start getting pretty flimsy. If your God is money, if your God is your reputation, if your God, if your God is being popular, if your God is, you know, in, you know, approval of man, if your God is your beauty, that's going to fade. If your God, I mean, all along the way, every God becomes flimsy except the true God. Every kingdom that we go after uh, ends up being so frail and feeble except the great king, God. He had trouble sleeping. If your life is about power and control, your life will probably be marked by paranoia, irritability, and insomnia. He was shaken up and he was rattled and rolled and he just wasn't a good place. I can't think of how many biographies I've read. I love biographies. Anybody read biographies? And how many kings? We don't have kings in America, but we got presidents. I've I've been to some of their museums and read their biographies and just tons of paranoia because you got this power and you make it about you. And that's why Jesus stands out. No life ever lived was like Jesus. And he teaches us if we'll listen and heed that your kingdom, whatever blessing he gives you, give it away. Whatever power you have, you possess, share it with other people. Never, ever, ever make it about yourself. Uh, the second part is the prayer meeting. This is Daniel. Here we go. I promised you I'm going to roll through it. Our time is limited. Then Daniel went to his house and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, urging them to ask the God of heaven for mercy concerning this mystery. By the way, it's one thing to pray about something, but it's another thing to enlist your friends to pray with you. Hey, let's pray together. Let's, let's be a people, Fondren Church, where we don't just not pray. James chapter 4, you don't have because you don't ask. You, you ask and you don't receive because you ask it to consume it upon your own lust. What are your prayers? You can tell a lot about a people. You can tell a lot about a church by its prayer request. What are we praying for? And I know we got, we got people that aren't well. We got to pray for, you know, but, but are we praying for kingdom-minded things? Are we praying for his kingdom to be advanced and people to be set free and justice to be brought into pockets of injustice? Are we praying for slaves to be set free? Are we praying, praying for addictions to be overcome? What are we praying? Are we praying for God's hand to move? Those are the best kind of prayers and they're best prayed together when we ask other people to pray with us. So Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed. I mean, limb to limb, your house like a garbage heap with the rest of Babylonians' wise men. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel praised the God of heavens and declared. By the way, I said this at the first service today, but uh, sometimes it's easy to be a skeptic and go, man, you really believe God, like a dude, had a dream, and this guy came, he's a, a young guy, and he interpreted the dream. And, you know, you, uh, you're at church, so maybe you'll forgive me for saying this, but, like, leave room in your life for a God of miracles. Leave room in your life for God of miracles. Now, just here's the thing. If you don't believe that, go Google, not now after the sermon, but Google how fast is the earth traveling? 
Google, Google how we're tilted on our axis. Google our place in the solar system. Like, that's unbelievable. It, it, that, I mean, it, it's, look at your body, and uh, it's a wonderland, right? Look at the complexity of engineering and all. Like, this, look, look, this is amazing. Can I say, can I get an amen? This, Emily's like, please stop right now. Um, the mystery was revealed to Daniel. Believe the, the miracle. May the name of God be praised forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells within him. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Sounds a little bit like Jesus, doesn't it? Sounds a little bit what Paul would write to the churches uh, scattered throughout first century Palestine. I offer thanks and praise to you. Here's a young guy who could have turned it on himself. And you know we do that? Do you know we do that? We point to our giftedness. And Daniel's like, man, this gave, God gave me this. God of my ancestors. What's he saying? God of my ancestors. He's saying God's faithful. You know, it's one thing to go, God is faithful. God is kind. God is good. But it's a whole other thing to say, God is, here's where God's been faithful to me. Here, let me, let me tell you, let me, tell, let me show you the kindness of God in my life. Do you, you know what he did? Do you know, I, I was thinking this, I was going there, and then boom, God showed up and this happened. This is the kindness of God. God is kind, he's faithful, he's good. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's an abstraction. Most people around you don't believe and they see God as an abstraction. You and I are called to show them God and show them his kindness and show him his goodness and show him his faithfulness. Your life can be a testimony to integrity and in walking with God and pointing other people to him. After revival night, Susan texts me and our friend Kathy uh, this clip from Dr. Tony Evans. He's so good. I wish I could preach like him one day. To give a testimony. If you're not willing to be a witness, if you're not willing to tell it, if you're not willing to represent, then you won't experience him because he doesn't want to give his reality to people who don't want to tell it, who don't want to let other people know who your God is, what your God has done, and that your Savior has risen from the dead. He's not going to have fellowship with folks who are unwilling to be a witness. So you got to tell God, God, when you show me, I'm going to let somebody else know what I saw. I will not keep it to myself because I want this to be an experience with God. Don't keep it to yourself. Let's be a church that can testify to God's goodness and we can shout it out. I'm serious. We need some more shouting up in here. It's easy for us to say, please, please, please. And we don't praise, praise, praise. God, I need this. I need this. I need this. And I'm telling you, man, we need to praise God. And you're, you know, your troubles are still going to be there when you praise God. But what it does for us and the orientation of our hearts and just to be reminded of the goodness of God. The third part is the reveal. Here we go. Then Ariok quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found a man among the Judean exiles who could let the king know the interpretation. Uh, he gives them this interpretation. It's this dream. Here it is. It's a statue. Artists have rendered this time and time again. This is straight from the second chapter of Acts. People ask me because we're so fascinated by prophecy and meaning and history and all that. People have asked me, even a couple of people last week emailed me. Uh, this is what I believe. I believe the gold, and I may be right, and it's not that big a deal, but I believe the gold represents Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Uh, I believe the silver uh, represents uh, the Persians. I believe the brass represents the Greeks, the iron, the Romans, and the iron and clay is all the other kingdoms. What about America? Well, um, what about America? I don't know. We're on the other side of the ocean. We got the Air Force. We're like, the, I guess we dominate in the world um, because of our geography and our Air Force. Maybe our values uh, could be a part of that. But uh, man, you know, we got the, we got the, 
the power today, but every kingdom is going to fail. Every kingdom is going to come and go. Here it is. In the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. Um, only one kingdom. Only one. Think about it. Man, some of your sports fans, World Cup, Stanley Cup, Super Bowl, you know, on and on and on. Man, that stuff comes and goes. Uh, it may not resonate with you when I say kingdoms or countries come and go, but how about this? Companies come and go. Companies come and go. Who's on top comes and goes. But there's one kingdom that we're called uh, to live for. As Lauren and the team make their way up, we'll be singing in just a minute. Jesus put it this way, the time is fulfilled. This is right when he showed up. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Would you stand with us? Jesus said when the disciples came to him, they said, uh, Lord, teach us to pray. And you remember what Jesus said? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What? Thy kingdom come. Well, Jesus, which is it? Mark 1.15, the kingdom is here. Repent. But you want us to pray that the kingdom would come. And so the answer theologically and practically is this. We live in the already and the not yet. And where it hurts, where it's hard, where the spirit of Babylon and the world is crushing you and getting the best of you, it's the not yet. But there's a day at the end of Revelation that says every tear, it'll be no more. It'll be wiped away and God will make a way and it will be okay in him. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's this kingdom that we're called to live for. So as a church, if you're a Christian, I'm talking to you. I'm talking and inviting you to lock arms with a group of people and let's say, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's be a little slither, a little slather, a little group of people that bring heaven to earth and to operate in this way. So we're, here's where religious people get it very wrong. We either choose isolation. I can't take the world. I hate it. I'm tired of the spirit of Babylon. I'm going to dog cuss it and live separate from it. Or we assimilate. We go, man, you know, all right, we can have some fun. Let's just live in the world. And so Daniel says, hey, I want you. I'm going to skip that part about the credit. He gives credit and he invites um, God to work. And he invites um, the boys to be with him. Jeremiah chapter 5, 29, I'm sorry, verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Jeremiah 29, you're going to know the last verse because we quote it all the time out of context. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourself and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. You want to be countercultural today? Live this way. Like, live that way. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city. I have deported you to pray. Pray to the Lord on its path for when it thrives, you will thrive. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon, you see Jeremiah 29 is pointing to Daniel 1 and 2. When the seven years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promises concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and to hope. We as a church don't choose isolation. We don't choose assimilation. We say, I want to be different. We want a purpose in our hearts to live differently and ask God to give us the influence. And as a church, we seek the peace and prosperity of our city. I'm going to be in an elder meeting tomorrow night. We're going to talk about the budget. (sighs) But in the budget, I'm going to advocate that we continue to give to the Renaissance Foundation of Fondren. It's a secular organization. Like it does things that our church doesn't agree with probably in some ways. But so maybe we don't give. But I want to give. Why? Because I want to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. 
Like it matters for us to care about the city that we live in and to fund it and to love it and to plant and bloom and blossom here. And Jackson needs us. Jackson needs our influence now. Father, bless this message and your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.